Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Have you tried to get a hold of a protective mask recently? Like just for yourself? Yeah, you know, I need to. Um... David McSwain is a reporter for ProPublica. He's been holed up at home, like a lot of us lately. When he goes out, he wears this knockoff N95 that he found a few weeks back. Uh, and I know it's a knockoff because it has the ear loops and it's not a strap around the back of my head. Hmm. Uh, so even if the material is N95 grade, it doesn't offer you the same protection. Lately, David's been thinking about how he could get his hands on the real thing. But he knows the market for masks right now, it's crazy. I picked up one of those masks at uh, a you know, grocery store and, you know, it's like six bucks, which is about six times what it was four months ago. Probably more because these are from China. They're probably worth 40 cents. But, you know, it's like if, if it has some level of protection, I'm willing to pay it right now. I don't know. I got to talk with my managers about maybe paying out the nose for a couple masks. I know how David feels. I tried to get masks recently. They weren't even N95s, just basic cloth masks. I placed my order. I sat back and waited. A couple weeks later, I got a letter from the company I'd ordered from. They said their masks were stuck in China. Customs had delayed any exports of PPE. I wanted to talk to David about all this because over the last few weeks, he hasn't just been hunting for masks for himself. He's been tracking protective equipment as it pops up and then disappears around the country, watching as masks slip through the hands of hospital systems, state agencies, even the federal government, because all these places are having the same problem. Yeah, I mean, you've got extreme desperation, uh, extreme demand, and... Uh unprecedented scarcity, you know. So people see an opportunity to make money and hospitals and agencies and private citizens are willing to pay for it. On today's show, how David McSwain went on a bizarre journey with someone who saw how desperate the country is for masks and decided to capitalize on that. It's a trip that reveals a shadowy marketplace, one that's creating extremely high prices and a lot of deals that just fall through. This story, it's part mystery, part farce, and part tragedy. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. David's journey into the shady mask market, it begins back in April. He wanted to know how the federal government was getting access to protective equipment when it was in such woefully short supply. He was especially interested in who was securing no-bid contracts for this stuff and how quickly those contracts were being fulfilled. We just saw all of a sudden that the government was just going to spend and spend and spend. So, you know, we knew there would be stories there. Uh, so I coordinated with one of our, you know, really good data analysts, and, and I can do a little bit of data. And I said, why don't we just pull it in and, like, just start splitting it up, taking a look. So this is like a massive spreadsheet? Oh, it's, wor- it's, it's worse than that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a relational database that you got to kind of put together and you can pull a spreadsheet out of it uh, after you run some analysis. And what I started to do was, you know, let's just pull down every contract that didn't have competitive bidding. You know, that's usually a telltale sign of, you know, the government's desperate for something. We knew the uh, you know emergency powers were in effect, and they they weren't bidding these things like they normally do to make sure that they're hiring reputable companies at a fair price. So we just pulled those down, looked at them by agency, and you started to see some interesting things. David, were you particularly interested in the VA when you were looking at this database of, of federal contracts? No, I, I wasn't actually. I try to approach. When I'm doing any sort of data analysis, I try to approach it with without a bias, just sort of see where the numbers take me and look for outliers. And the VA jumped out in terms of the volume of contracts they've awarded, uh, how many of them were no bid contracts, and how many of them were awarded to contractors with no previous experience. Hmm. Um, I had never covered the VA before. I'm, you know, I haven't really touched on that issue, uh, but it was clear to me that they were scrambling. You know, you're not going to hear the VA say this, but this looked like panic buying. Um, And it stood to reason. I mean, the the VA health system has something like more than 1,200 healthcare facilities, 170 medical centers, et cetera, and just tens of thousands of nurses and doctors who are really treating, I mean, they're treating some of the most vulnerable people out there, people who are, you know, among the most susceptible to this virus. So they needed masks. Um, and, it, and it just looked like they were really taking advantage of being able to get around the competitive bidding to just try to cast a wide net and bring in what they could. Um, that's what the data uh, suggested. You ended up focusing on this one company in particular, Federal Government Experts, LLC. Why did they stand out? Uh, well, two things, and this is just sort of from experience, the name federal government experts to me just sounded kind of funny. <laughs> um, like it was just a little on the nose. Yeah. This was just clearly a company that was going after federal contracts, right? Just the name of it. And it was an LLC, uh, which told me, you know, that this this is a smaller player, most likely. Sometimes we'll see LLCs are really just somebody working out of their basement. And some, and some of these people deliver. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I was curious because here's this company by that name uh, that got a $34.5 million no-bid contract. And Is that big? That's big uh, for a no-bid, yes. In, in the context of the federal government, it's chump change, right? Hmm. 
but it's a big amount for a small company. I mean, this was just astronomical compared to the revenue this company was taking in, according to what we can tell, uh, you know, through available credit records. What were they supposed to deliver for that money? So it was $34.5 million for 6 million N95 masks, which comes out to about five seventy-five dollars a mask. This was, oh geez, mid-April. Uh, now you're seeing that price kind of everywhere, somewhere around there. But this seemed pretty high. Um, yeah, what should the government have been paying for masks like that? You know, it's hard to tell anymore because it's, you know, experts I talk to say, you know, there just aren't any N95 masks left. Um, but for masks that were out there, based on, you know, the manufacturer's recommendation, these should have been around $2 a piece, which is still high. I mean, six months before they were, uh, you know, I think less than a dollar hmm. a piece. So this, this seemed like, you know, a pretty expensive buy uh, with an untested company. You know, we looked into it and it was their first ever federal contract that was reported. Yeah, did federal government experts have any experience acquiring medical equipment? No. I mean, and that was obvious from the website. You know, I was just kind of poking around and, you know, they're advertising like IT consultancy, which is which is like a, it's a vagary that you just like inevitably comes up when you're writing about government contracting. You're like, you know, it's like you're at a dinner party and someone says I'm a consultant and you're like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, my favorite part of your article was <laughs> you said the company's website advertised a blockchain AI solution to government procurement, whatever that means. Yeah, um, it was unclear what that means. So you see this company that looks pretty green with a big no bid contract for masks and no experience in the medical supply chain. So what do you do then? I was looking for other companies. I was thinking I was going to do a story just sort of on these untested companies being hired and, you know, sort of get my ducks in a row and then we were going to call everybody, right? Well, that's when the Wall Street Journal wrote a story that was pretty similar to what I was thinking I would do, just sort of the first pass. And in that, they, you know, anyone who was crunching the data would see what I saw. They saw that federal government experts had a big deal with the VA, and this was a new company. And they quoted the CEO, Rob Stewart, as saying, I'm a decent, you know, reputable company, and I, I'm looking at the masks right now. I've got them. And I thought, my first thought was like, you know, uh, damn, I, I got scooped on this. Like, you know, maybe, <laughs> we, maybe we pivot. And then I just thought about it a little bit more. I was like, how did this guy get six million masks? Like, he had no experience in this space. So maybe that's just something I should find out. You know, I was just curious. So but, maybe that's the story. Like, how do you how do you do this hat trick? Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know. I, I I thought let's find out. You know, because when you pitch a story, your editors want you to deliver on it. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, well, all right, let me just call the guy. So I called him up and said, hey. You know, I just wanted to know how you got this deal, your new company, and, and how you're doing this. Um, you told the journal that you, you know, you've got the masks. And, and that's when he tells me, well, you know, I don't, I don't have them yet. They're, they're in L.A. And I said, well, the, the, the journal quoted you as saying you were in L.A. looking at the masks and that you were about to hop on a plane and, and whatnot. And he says, no, 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 they got it all wrong. I, I, I've been in quarantine since December. They're in L.A., but tomorrow I'm going to fly to Chicago to 
supervise them being delivered to the VA at their distribution center outside of Chicago. So that's a pretty big inconsistency to have one piece of journalism saying, this guy's looking at the masks, he's about to deliver them. And then you call him up and he's like, well, actually, I wasn't looking at the masks and I don't have them, but I'm going to get them. Right. And and he said the journal got it wrong. And I, and, and I could have, um, you know, it could have been a misunderstanding. Sometimes we'll say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm looking at this thing, but you don't mean that literally, you know. Hmm. Uh, maybe he's looking at an invoice, you know. So, I, you know, I was giving him the benefit of the doubt, but something something didn't seem right. There were just some questions. And so I just said, well, that's interesting. When do you fly out? He said, well, I fly out tomorrow morning. Um, I'm going on a private jet. And I said, oh, really? Um, can I come with you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, why would you say that? Like, <laughs> Why would no, I say that? Yeah, no one wants to fly right now. And... There's some inconsistencies in his story. I, why did you want to get on the plane? Well, I'm, I'm bored, <laughs> you know? I'm locked up in my apartment here. Um, no, I mean, uh, joking aside, uh, the CEO of a company with a major contract to deliver life-saving supplies to a really hard-hit agency where people are dying says, come with me on my private jet. We better go. You know? <laughs> Before you got on the plane, I wonder if Rob Stewart, the CEO of this company, if he was able to answer your question of how this guy with no experience in this industry was able to potentially get his hands on six million masks. I mean, that's what made me curious. Uh, He was being a little cryptic. I don't think he was lying to me. I think he was really trying to tell me that this is insane, that there's just craziness out there right now. And he said, well, you know, that's that's the real story, Dave. Uh, these buccaneers and pirates, you know, these folks who are coming in and they're cutting deals. And I know a guy who knows a guy, brokers and middlemen. And I said, oh, really? That's interesting. Isn't he one and, of the buccaneers uh, and pirates? Well, uh, from, from his vantage, no. I mean, he, he is a... Uh, public-facing company who got a contract that's listed in a public database. Hmm. You know, his desire to deliver seemed genuine. I mean, there's no doubt there was profit motivation. Um, This is really good for his company. It's a lot of money. But for him to connect to the product, because he didn't have a connection to the supply chain, a supply chain which, by the way, is like fractured in a total mess, he had to deal with people sort of in the shadows. So... You decide to meet up with Stuart on his plane. What what happens that morning when you get on? That morning, you know, we meet at the executive wing at, at Dulles International. And, you know, he comes in in a, a nice suit, um, you know, seems energized and confident. And Is this the first time you're meeting tells, him in person? Yeah. Yeah. We hadn't met in person. And, uh, and you know, we get on the plane and he starts to tell me that... Uh, he has nothing to hide. He's a, he's a good, reputable company. He's trying to do his best by the country. And he, you know, he thought, bring me along to prove that he's, you know, he is who he says he is. Yeah, there's clearly a lot of pride wrapped up in what he was doing. You know, he's chartered this private jet to go get these masks. He's brought you along. And then 
he says, OK, let's make a stop and pick up my parents. Yeah, that so that part was difficult. Um, Why difficult? Because I understood what he was doing. You know, any any good son wants to share or, or daughter, I imagine, wants to share their success with their parents. Hmm. So there was a piece of me that wanted wanted him to succeed, you know, but I'm just there to, to watch. And yeah, we stop in Columbus, Georgia. That's where his parents are. That's where that's where his folks are. But you know, as we, as well, actually, as we took off from D.C., we were chatting, and it became clear to me that he didn't actually have the mess. The deal had fallen through in L.A. That if in fact there was a deal, he said those masks got bought out from under him, and. My friend, I was like, well, Rob, why, why are we flying on a private jet that you paid $22,000 for to go to Chicago when you don't have any masks or anywhere to ship them there? And he, he tells me, you know, it's kind of a faith thing. And in a way, it just felt like we were just kind of too far down the road in his mind, you know, stay the course. And part of that involved bringing his parents along. You know, I, he didn't tell me this, but part of me wondered if he just he had already told his family that he was coming down in a jet and, you know, he wanted to fall through. So let me just see if I understand the timeline right. So you get on the plane with the CEO of this company, Rob Stewart, and he explains when you get on, like, OK, we were supposed to be getting these masks. Actually, there are no masks, but I'm going to go pick up my family anyway and hope it works out. Yes, that's exactly what he said. But with a little more bravado. It wasn't, I hope it's going to work out. It was, this is going to work. So the family gets on the plane, and so do some friends and, and people who are working with him. And everyone heads to Chicago. You describe how Rob Stewart and his family, they, they go to this hotel, and basically Stewart is just on the phone with all kinds of people calling in favors, trying to make this deal happen. What kinds of people is he talking to? Yeah, it was, um, you know, I was a fly on the wall. I couldn't, I couldn't hear the other side of the phone, but I could hear his end. And occasionally he would stop to tell me what had just happened. Um, but no, he was on the phone with the VA's contract managers talking about getting an extension or saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, it's coming in. Uh, and then he, you know, he'd be on the phone with the guy who said, hey, I can help you get the masks. And they'd be talking about logistics. And he and another colleague were talking about, well, do you know a guy who has a freight company? You know, and then the conversation would turn to, well, OK, what if we get a cargo jet that just runs a few trips and then we get the other half of the six million masks on eight trucks? <laughs> and... You know, he'd be telling somebody on the phone, no, I want to deliver all the masks at once. You know, it's too risky to split up the shipment because, you know, we got to pay for insurance twice and, you know, the masks might be damaged and then the VA is not going to pay. You know, um, just a lot of that. It was all very hurried, increasingly stressful. You know, I sort of watched as slowly the realization came to each person that, uh, you know, we don't have any masks. Uh, we don't have a way to ship them. Um, and then the conversation turned to, well, you know, if, if only it weren't for these buccaneers and pirates, you know, if the supply chain weren't so muddled 
And all the while, you know, I'm witnessing this, but his, his folks are coming in and out. It's kind of a family affair that isn't working. Um, and finally, Rob says to his mom, you know, mom, I'm sorry you came out here for nothing. Hmm. Which was a sad moment, you know, and, and that told me that, you know, I don't know if it was delusion or pride or, or authentic belief, but, you know, he really thought he was going to pull it off. Yeah, it's funny. Your article about this whole debacle, it kind of reads like a caper. Like it has a little bit of a madcap quality and, and there are funny details. But listening to you retell it now, it feels much sadder. Yeah, I mean, the moral of the story was, in my mind, the VA wanted masks and it was just throwing contracts out. And it was bizarre to take this flight, you know, knowing that you didn't have any masks. But it was also a tragedy in a way because this is somebody trying to launch his business and appeared to think that this was his big break. What happened with Rob Stewart's contract with the VA? Did he ever get any masks? No, he did not get any masks. And... uh you know, I came back to D.C. and described a little bit of what I had seen to the VA to ask them for comment. You know, like, what vetting did you do of this company? Are you extending his contract as he requested, et cetera? And then, you know, they told me, I think the next day or maybe the day after, actually, we've, we've just terminated this contract um, and we've referred it to the inspector general to take a look at it which implies that there's some suspicion of impropriety. Rob says that, you know, he's going to cooperate fully. He doesn't have anything to worry about, he says. So it's unclear what they're looking into there, but they hadn't told Rob that the contract had been terminated. Uh, and I had to call him and ask him about it. Oof. So he actually found out about it from me. Um, from his point of view, he, he'd sort of been played by this system, this black market that sort of emerged out of the government's desperation for a really scarce product. Yeah, I'm curious who you see as the bad faith actor here. Like who who's messing up? Is it the VA that put all these made all these no bid contracts available? Is it Rob Stewart who thought he could do something when he didn't have enough experience? Is it those fixers and buccaneers that Stewart was complaining about? So anytime I come into a story, particularly a contract story, I sort of remind myself of uh Hanlon's razor, you know, hmm. uh, never attribute to malice that which can be explained by incompetence or I think the actual uh, phrase is stupidity, but I prefer incompetence. Um, I think what we had here is an agency that was desperate for something. So they lax the rules as, as most of the federal government did. And uh, they threw contracts at several companies, not just his, that I don't think in a time of competitive bidding would have gotten those deals. The VA says, well, we're, you know, we're doing all this vetting, but the truth is they just didn't do the normal amount of due diligence because these were handed out within days. I mean, the contract solicitation date and the sign date are the same often in these cases. Hmm. So they're handing them out and maybe there's good reason. You know, you could argue that these contracts, which look more like bounties than contracts, it's more like go out and get stuff and then we'll pay you. Hmm. That might be a, a good way to get these things in this environment. 
But the VA is encouraging some of this market. And was this even necessary? Why couldn't the VA buy from the source? Yeah, I mean, I was having that thought too. Like, why do you need these third-party folks? Isn't this why we have the Defense Production Act? Well, the answer is the VA is being cagey in their responses to me. But the answer appears to be that FEMA is really leading the charge here on gathering up PPE. And they're deciding where things go and, and in charge of the national stockpile. But the VA is a special agency because they run the largest hospital system in, in the country. They needed this stuff now. So in a way, it would make sense to, uh, you know, sort of have guerrilla fighters out there for you trying to find these things. So they couldn't wait. Right. And from the VA's point of view, you know, the, the thing that they've told me repeatedly when I've asked about not just this contract, but others that have fallen through, well, we didn't pay anybody. The VA has not once paid for items that weren't delivered. But for me, the real conflict here, the real concern was, this is about time, which we don't have. You know, nurses and doctors need these things in these hospitals. People are dying. And... While we're waiting on these supplies, you have these brokers and middlemen and untested companies jockeying for these supplies and driving up the price and, you know, shipments are being lost and then FEMA takes stuff and all of this stuff is happening with this life-saving product before it can actually get to people whose lives depend on it. David McSwain, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. J. David McSwain is a reporter for ProPublica. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Mary Wilson, and Jason DeLeon. Every day, this show is a lot better because of the hard work of Alicia Montgomery and Allison Benedict. Thanks for listening. I'm Mary Harris. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> 